Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and welcome to our podcast where we bring you a different speaker each week. This one's from AA Solution Seekers Meeting. This is Steve B. from his home group, AA 1.0. Yeah, good morning, everybody. My name is Steve Bresnick. I am a very grateful recovered alcoholic. Um, Yeah, and I just want to real quick uh, wish uh, everybody a happy Father's Day. Not just the dads, the moms too, because you had a part in it. So uh, and that being said, um, yeah, my sobriety date is uh, April 1st, 2012. April Fool's Day, what a day to get sober, right? Hey, any day on the calendar is a good day to get sober. Uh, yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm glad April said it. I, I, I love the way you open your meeting. Uh, you pretty much lay it all out on the table, and I think that's pretty awesome. But uh, you're not going to hear a drunk along today. I know a lot of you know you get a lot of speakers, and that's all you hear. Well, this the you know wah 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 wah. Well, I'm going to try not to make it too boring for you. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like my sponsor says. Yeah, that says uh, my story is uh, is, is really good except that the real parts aren't good and the good parts aren't real. Um, and uh, let's go back to the beginning, what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. What it was like, you know, as a kid, I, I, I say that I suffered from chronic affluenza. Uh, my parents weren't what I would call rich, but I grew up in a in a okay I mean okay family and uh, uh, we had enough money to do whatever we want my dad owned his own business when uh, never had want or need of anything uh, I thought I was a good kid at least that's what my parents kept telling me that I was a good kid uh, I had a brother and I've got a brother and a sister and uh, I was treated very good too good uh they say that uh, there's two types of people in AA, those that were loved, uh, those that weren't loved enough as a child and those that were loved too much as a child. I fall into that second category. Uh, when I say I suffered from affluenza, I was given everything that I could possibly want or need. I was given things that I had no idea that I needed. I, I didn't want, I mean, you know, I think it was because my parents both came up from not too wealthy families. Uh, their generation did well. The previous generation struggled. And uh, I, uh, I kind of became an outcast of my family uh, when I graduated from college because I was the first person of either parent's family to graduate from college that did not graduate from Penn State University. <laughs> Uh, my cousins, aunts, uncles, I, I mean, it's like, you know, they got more degrees than a thermometer. Uh, but, you know, that being said, as a kid growing up, things were good. You know, I go, you know, we'd go to, you know, and I grew up, uh, I grew up in a Jewish family. Uh, I still consider myself to be of that faith, although I, uh, I've dabbled in uh, many others, as I know some of you probably have, uh, you know, I tried the the Buddhist thing, and I looked into Hinduism, and I've checked out various uh, Christian religions. I have a copy of the uh, 
and I read Bible sitting on my desk. I'm not going to get into any religious stuff here, really. But I, I think that it all relates to the fact that I have always believed in a higher power. And I choose to call my higher power God just because it's simpler that way. And uh, growing up, yeah, I was uh, I was hauled to uh, Sunday school every Sunday, went to Hebrew school twice a week, went through bar mitzvah training, you know, the whole, you know, coming up in the Jewish religion isn't all, uh, you know, uh, all roses and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. But I had it pretty good. No problems. Had it all. And uh, my parents made a big mistake. When I was 14, they bought me a motorcycle. In the state of Florida, you can, uh, you could, uh, I don't know what it is now, but back in, uh, let's see, let's see, uh, in, I was 14, would have made it 1963. Uh, yeah, I'm one of those old people. Uh, 1963, my folks bought me a motorcycle, which meant I could go where I want, when I wanted, however fast I wanted and still make it home for dinner. That was a mistake to give a 14-year-old like me the ability to do that. Because all it meant was that I could run with my friends, have a little bit to drink, visit a few of alcohol's friends, you know, and it was, that's what, that's, it started to go downhill. Went through high school, fine. Didn't graduate at the top of my class. Didn't graduate in the top. I think it was in the top third. I don't know. Got by just enough. Went to college. <laughs> Another mistake my folks made is paying for me to go to college. Maybe if I'd have had to pay for it myself, it would have been different. But it wasn't. I, uh, I partied a lot in college. I thought that's what you were supposed to do. And I got pretty good at it. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, listening to some of the stories out of the big book. Yeah. So anyway, I uh, never joined a fraternity because uh, couldn't quite get my grades up to what they expected them to be. But I went to a lot of their parties and uh, things of that nature, knew a lot of the people. And I went to a lot of other parties that weren't fraternity uh, oriented. And uh, let's see. Probably my first big run-in with the law was in Hillsborough County, Florida, which is where I was going to school at the time. Um, I got arrested by Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Uh, it wasn't alcohol-related, but it did have something to do with one of alcohol's friends. That was uh, kind of the beginning of when maybe somebody, myself included, should have realized that I might have had a problem. Um, and it was not a good thing because it was on June 10th, 1968 or 1969. And the reason I remember the date June 10th, and I can now relate it to the birth date of uh, AA, but it was also my mother's birthday. And what a day, what a nice call for your mother to get on her birthday. Hi, Mrs. Bresnick, can you come bail your son out of jail? <laughs> Happy birthday, mom. 
You know, I think about that now more than I ever have in my life. But that being said, you know, we got through all that nice and uh, ended up uh, eventually going back to school. Transferred uh, uh, back up to uh, hometown here in the Orlando area and uh, ended up graduating from uh, University of Central Florida. And if any of you uh, saw my uh, little uh, icon when uh, that uh, comes up, that's not the University of Central Florida. That's Florida State University. The reason I have that is because at the time, uh, you know, University of Central Florida or Florida Technological University, as it was known then, didn't have a football team. And you got to have a football team. So I had friends that went to the University of Florida, University of Miami and Florida State. Which one do you pick? I don't know. Pick Florida State. So I've been a fan of theirs ever since. Got through college. Got out into the real world. And uh, drank. Went to work. Drank. Went to work. Drank. Went to work. You know. Nothing we haven't heard before. Um. Um, I can't say as I uh, really wanted to come into Alcoholics Anonymous. I kind of didn't. Didn't ever think I would need to because I wasn't alcoholic. Nah, I just like to drink. I like to party. I like to pass out, but, you know, behind the dumpster, you know, behind the 7-Eleven. That was so much fun. I like to wake up under strange ceiling fans. Yes, ladies, you do not have a monopoly on that. I'm here to tell you. Um, but anyway, it uh, life was life was okay. I can't say I had any complaints. I had it pretty good. Uh, I was uh, ended up, uh, you know, got married, had a couple kids, and uh, well, I didn't have the kids. My wife had the kids. Um, it was it was good. Life was good. At least I thought it was, in my opinion, at the time. I uh, had uh, three cars, a boat, a motorcycle, a nice house in the suburbs uh, that I bought, you know, brand new. You know, it wasn't uh, some, you know, beat down shack. Uh, you know, it, like I say, life was good. Going on and on, you know, on down the road, things, you know, some things never change and it just was day to day routine. So that's kind of like uh, the way that it was. It, life was good, like they say. I drank, I went to work, I drank, I went to work. You know, I've said that before, but that's the way that it was. What happened? Well, what happened? So let me go back, digress just a, a second here. You know, like I say, getting arrested in 1969 for uh, an issue uh, with one of alcohol's friends. Um, you think that might have woke me up a little bit? Nah, didn't didn't even cross my mind. And uh, in when I was in college, you know, back then, uh, well, I graduated from college in 1971. And uh, back then, for some of you folks that are old enough to remember, we used to play board games. It was before we had the internet and game stations and all that, you know. Uh, 
we were sitting around in the dorm room having a few beers playing i think it was risk one of my one of the most fun games ever and it's kind of like aa it's simple but fun and one of the guys that was with us, uh, he's just sitting there and he starts weaving a little bit. And he's like, I don't feel so good. And he just fell over right into my lap and died. He OD'd. I don't, don't remember what it was, but it, it wasn't any of the common stuff that's running around now. Um, you think that would have shook me up a little bit and got me straightened out. Nah, didn't happen. Continued to party. Got out of college, you know, like I say, I joined the real world. And that uh, I blame my parents for, uh, they were on my fourth step list, by the way, simply because they didn't teach me what the real world was all about. They loved me too much. If they hadn't loved me quite as much, maybe I'd have been a little bit better off, but that's okay. I made out all right. They love me. I love them. So uh, what happened? Going through life, drinking, go to work, drinking, go to work. And it was kind of like, you know, I'd go to work even, even at the time uh, before, right before I came into AA. Uh I didn't drink in the morning, never drank, uh, except on the weekends, never drank early in the day. Go to work. Everything's fine. I'd have my coffee, come home. and But as soon as I'd get out of work, the first convenience store I'd passed, I was pulling in, grabbing me a four-pack of tall boys. A couple of them usually made it home. My wife, to use, my wife used to think those things came in a two-pack, and the other two little rings were just a handle to carry it by. She never saw a four-pack of them. So, on, uh, and I had my own business for a while, got tired of uh, having to work 14-hour uh, day, 14, 16-hour days, seven days a week, because uh, you couldn't find anybody that wanted to take responsibility to do anything. Got tired, just shut it down various jobs here and there. And then I got a job working for the Florida Department of Revenue Child Support Enforcement Program. Uh, it was a good job. I mean, it wasn't the best of pay, but the benefits were decent. And I'd go to work, then drink. I'd go to work, then drink, you know. And then uh, I worked my way up uh, uh, from... Uh, case analyst up to, or case worker up to, uh, did some HR for a while, hired a bunch of people. Then I got uh, moved up to a trainer, which, oh boy, I was a trainer. I got to travel all over the state. Bad move by the Department of Revenue. I was away from home a lot, staying in hotels a lot, could party a lot, and I did. Up until June 16th, 2011. Damn it again, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. I'm not supposed to be in Hillsborough County in the month of June, I guess. I got stopped for a DUI. 
I can't say stopped. I was actually in a parking lot trying to pull out of the 7-Eleven. I just stopped in to get some more beer. Uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's got me, took me to jail, called my boss. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I was kind of fortunate to the extent that I got, had a good attorney. I did blow point uh, zero. Two eight and uh, two six and two eight, I think. And in Florida, the state of Florida, uh, <clears throat> impaired as a is a uh, point uh, point zero eight. Uh, that's legally drunk. Felony is point zero one five or point zero oh what oh eight no one five. I blew the two six and two eight. I was like two and a half times, oh, I mean, twi almost twice the, the limit to be considered a felony. Fortunately, the attorney was good. We got a lot of good DUI attorneys in Florida. We got it stipulated down to a misdemeanor. So the Florida Department of Revenue says you can keep your job. <clears throat> you just got to walk the straight and narrow, <clears throat> which I did. Okay. That's uh, kind of how I got here. Tell you a little bit about what happened. Well, what happened? I got busted for the DUI. Uh, I was told that I had to do some uh, year of probation. I think all it was is that they wanted a year's worth of payments from me every month. I had to do some community service, which actually worked out pretty good. I did it at one of the uh, sheriff's, uh, local sheriff's uh, boys and girls thrift store got some good deals out of there you know you get to see the stuff when it's coming in and uh i had to do uh, uh, uh group counseling which i thought was kind of cool they had some good speakers uh they didn't tell me anything i had, didn't know because i had a bunch of psychology classes in college and then they said i had to go i can't you know and i really can't remember there's either 12 or 15 aa meetings and I said, uh-uh. I said, uh-huh. I said, uh-uh. I said, yeah. I said, no. You want your license back? Okay, I'm going. Where do I go? Um, the reason I, uh, you know, the reason I didn't want to go is because I wasn't an alcoholic. And only alcoholics go to AA meetings. I was just a drunk. You know, I couldn't go anywhere without a beer. You know, I'd, I'd run to the store to pick up something. Sometimes it was just more beer. And I would uh, take one with me to the truck. My wife says, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't drive in your condition. You shouldn't drink while you're driving. Well, the thing is, you can't, tell, you, you can't tell me what to do. Nobody tells Steve Bresnik what to do. Okay. Well, I guess since I wanted my license back, I did go to AA meetings. And uh, after uh, about seven or eight meetings, I finally started to get the idea that I was an alcoholic. I'd always kind of been the black sheep of the family, you know, all the one getting in trouble. I made it easy on my brother and sister, you know, they're younger than me. I was the one that always got in trouble, but I was a black sheep. But when I came in here, I found the rest of my flock. I uh, 
I realized, yes, that this is where I needed to be. Went to the meetings, finally realized I was an alcoholic, but I did not pick up a surrender chip. I started going to the meetings. It was back in, I think, oh, end of January, beginning of February 2012. And I have a friend of mine who passed uh, recently that came in in February or March. And he always kept saying that my sobriety was in February before he came in, when actually my sobriety date is April 1st. The reason that he would say that my sobriety is before his is because I was coming to meetings when he first came in. But I didn't pick up my, my desire chip or white chip or, you know, whatever you want to call it, until April 1st. The reason being, it wasn't my idea to be there, and nobody tells Steve Bresnick what to do. So because it wasn't my idea, I didn't pick up that, that white chip, desired chip, surrendered chip, whatever you want to call it. Now I like to call it the token to get on the bus that travels the road of happy destiny. I finally got to the point to where I had done enough meetings. That was on a Sunday morning, Sunday morning meeting, April 1st, 2012. Got my last signature. Got a big packet. I still keep everything just as a reminder of where I don't want to go again. Got my last signature, put all my documentation and paperwork. I put my graduation certificate from DUI school, everything in an envelope, put my counselor's name on it, took it over to Lakeside Treatment Center in Orlando, dropped it at the front desk, went to a meeting that night and picked up my white chip because then it was on me, no one else. That was my decision, not someone else telling me I had to do it. So here we are uh, a little bit uh, a little bit more than 11 years later. So now we know what it was like. Life was good. What happened? Got busted for a DUI. What it's like now? <laughs> Again, life is good. Just a little bit different. There's something missing in my life now. And that's that bottle. Heard a guy at one meeting one time say, I, he said, I'd rather have a frontal lobotomy than a bottle in front of me. <laughs> I kind of laughed at that because it was very early on. And it's like, yeah, damn it, it made sense. At least it makes sense to me now. And uh, so what it's like now. Got into the program, was going to, like I said, going to the meetings. I... Uh, I was probably doing, let's see, I was doing uh, Tuesday. My home group at that time was a group called Happy Hour. I think anywhere, any, any intergroup uh, office has got a, a happy hour group. I don't care where you go, what area of any state, you're going to have a happy hour group. And you're going to have either a group or a clubhouse named Rebos. And for those of you that may be new and don't know what Rebos is or haven't come across one yet, Look at the word sober in a mirror. That's Rebos. Um, 
or the ODAT club here in Orlando, one day at a time. You know, we got all our neat little acronyms and things we say, cute little things. Sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they get through to people. But I, uh, I didn't ask. I didn't have a sponsor until I was on the program almost four months. Uh, I'd been to a lot of meetings. I was doing like Tuesday night, Wednesday night sometimes, Thursday night, Thursday afternoon and evening pretty regularly. My home group had a, on Thursdays it was uh, 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 12 and 12. Uh, or yeah, we do a uh, 12 and 12 study at 5.30 and a big book at 8 o'clock. Tuesday night was a big book at eight at five thirty and uh, twelve and twelve at eight o'clock. So that's why I did Tuesday. I got into the literature pretty much right away, and uh, asked uh, one of the fellows there uh, if he would be my sponsor, and he said, "Yeah, sure." It took him all of about a tenth of a second to answer me, and you know it was kind of kind of like uh, God works in mysterious ways, they say. And it was kind of interesting. Come to find out that uh, Steve knew a lot about me from my sharing in the meetings. And I, uh, I came to find out from him after I asked him to be my sponsor, both of us named Steve. He was born in a little, town, a little borough in Pennsylvania, as was I. I was born in Phillipsburg. He was born in Altoona about 15 miles away. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? We were born 15 miles away, almost exactly two years apart in age, same name, and we get hooked up here in Central Florida. Him is my AA sponsor. Wow. Anyway, started do, uh, going through the steps with him. Uh, went through the steps real good. Try to keep an eye on my time. I could talk for... Uh, three days on uh, my story, but you wouldn't want to hear that. You wouldn't want to listen to me for that long. Uh, excuse me a minute. I don't know why they call that to wet your whistle, because I can't whistle. But anyway, I, uh, I I was going to the meetings, got a sponsor. Immediately, he said, you, you got to do some service work. So I got doing service work. I uh, did the literature for my home group for almost two years. Then I uh, got chosen or elected uh, as our uh, intergroup representative, did that for a couple of years. Then I got elected as our GSR, did that for a couple of years. So I got into service work pretty, pretty quickly after getting a sponsor. I highly recommend that to anybody here that may be new. And I know this is a newcomers meeting. And I know there's a lot of people in here that are, are well beyond what we could consider new. I see some faces in here that I know have got significant time. I'm not going to call anybody out. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I did that. My sponsor told me, you know, put me through the steps. And the, you know, we always hear everybody groan when somebody says, I'm working on my fourth step. First off, you don't work on the steps, you do the steps. If you're working on something, you're improving it or you're building it. I'm working on my character defects, BS. You don't work on them, you get rid of them, you clear them up. 
my sponsor uh, put me through the steps on the fourth step, which you, you say that in a, in a group and they go, oh, no, fourth step is a great step. And I'm working on my ninth step. Oh, no, that's a great step. Actually, the ninth step, I think, probably was one of, if not the best step that I had. Uh, my four, uh, my uh, fourth step, uh, I uh, went through that. Like I said, my parents were on my fourth step inventory because they, uh, they made life too easy for me. I, I struggled when I got out of the real world. Um, then we got to the ninth step, and I got everybody down there, and my sponsor looked at it, and he says, uh, you're missing something here. And I, I said, okay, he said, work on it. So I worked on it, and I was working on it, putting more things down. Went back to him after a couple times. He said, where are your parents? They were on your inventory. They're not on your uh, men's list. I said, oh, okay. I said, I can't do an amends with them. He said, why? I said, because they're dead. He said, are they buried locally? I, he said, yeah. He said, write them a letter. Said, okay. I wrote him the letter and uh, took me about four or five times because, you know, ink kind of smears on the paper when it's wet. And uh, you have to bear with me. This is a hard part of any time I speak or any time I talk about this. But I passed the letter back over to him and he, he just looked at it for about half a second, pushed it back across the table to me and says, okay, now go read it to them. They're buried locally, go read it to them. And I said, you gotta be kidding me. He said, no, go read it to them. I did it the very next day, took a half day off of work. I only worked about 10 minutes from where they were buried. It's on the same side of town. So I took the afternoon off of work. And I drove over to the cemetery and I sat, must have sat at that cemetery for, I don't know, seemed like forever. Could have been five minutes for all I know. And it's, you know, it, uh, you hear, oh, God spoke to me. I can't exactly say that because I couldn't tell you what it sounded like or what I heard or what he said or she, it my higher power. I don't know what was said. It was more just a feeling. I just, it's okay. And I realized uh, just a few years ago that that's when I had my spiritual awakening, uh, spiritual experience, whichever way you want to call it. But that's when mine happened. I drove into the cemetery and I read them this letter. It, uh, I don't know if you can see it, but there's like holes in it from being folded up and being cried on. And it's folded up nice and neat like this because I carried it in my wallet for quite a few years. I don't carry it in my wallet anymore because I thought one day, what happens if my wallet gets stolen? I can replace the money. I can replace the credit cards. I can replace anything in that wallet except this. So I made a copy of it, carry the copy in my wallet so I can take it out and read it occasionally. This one stays right here on my, on my desk, nice and safe. Okay, thank you for letting me share that. Got through the rest of my steps. And like I say, I, I got into service work. 
I highly recommend service work. It really, really, really makes a difference. It gives you, a, a, you know, I, I started going to my our district meetings. I started going to area conferences. Uh, it's what made me make the decision to go to international convention in Atlanta in 2015. But the service work really is kind of like when Stacy asked me if I would speak this morning. I don't know, Stacy. it didn't take me but maybe about five seconds to say yes, if it took me that long. You can't say no. That's service work. I said, yeah, sure. And then I realized that's seven o'clock in the morning. I got to get up at six o'clock. I'm retired, for gosh sakes. In seven years, I don't think I've gotten up at seven o'clock in the morning, except if I had to drive to Miami for a doctor's appointment for my wife. She had cancer in her eye and they had to treat it at Baskin Palmer Eye Institute. Um, especially since it's Father's Day. But thank you for allowing me to get up at six o'clock in the morning on Sunday, Father's Day. Thank you for allowing me to do that. Because this is what it's all about. Sharing your experience, strength, and hope what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. And, you know, the first time I ever spoke at a group other than my home group was um, about three years after uh, picking up my white chip, three years into the program. And I was walking into a meeting. Uh, I had spoken at my home group like twice. No, I hadn't been more than that because I had, the second time I spoke at my home group, was uh, actually the exact night that I uh, we had our uh, birthday meeting, which was on the first, uh, or no, we had our speaker meeting, which was on the first uh, Saturday of every month. Well, in April 2017, the first of the month was on a Saturday. So I picked up my five-year medallion the night I spoke at my home group. Then speaking in a group outside of my home group, I ran into my first sponsor's, uh, he passed at that time, my first sponsor's uh, widow, and she was there with her new boyfriend, hell of a nice guy, and uh, walking in and said, hey, Pat, how are you doing? She said, what are you doing here, Steve? I said, I'm speaking tonight. She said, oh, great. And I said, I have no idea what I'm going to say. And she gave me some good words of wisdom. She said, just open your mouth and let God talk. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And so I know that we are getting uh, a little bit close to uh, my time limit here. I try to keep up with these things. It's not so, not so easy anymore, but I try. So rather than bore you anymore with my, uh, my story, uh, what I'd like to do, and you know, I noticed, uh, I noticed Tina on her background there. She's got the pocket version of the big book, which is a good little thing to have. And I notice her big book is kind of marked up. I just want to show you, this is what my big book looks like. Okay. <laughs> it looks like I dipped it in a bucket of rainbow dye. Uh, but it's, uh, it's the way it is. That's what happens. So anyway, I'd like to read you a little something that I got from uh, 
picked up from a fellow by the name of Chris Raymer. He has a twin brother named Myers Raymer. Yeah, Stacy's clapping. We uh, we did a weekend workshop with Chris Raymer here in uh, Central Florida about uh, six months ago, seven months. It was a while, a few months back. I've seen both he and uh, Chris and Myers uh, a few times each at weekend workshops. If you ever have a chance to see them, do not pass up the opportunity. They are well worth it. Um, I uh, Or if you get a chance to uh, pick up some of their uh, CDs. I want to read you a little story that I got from uh, Chris. And I'm going to end with this. It's called A Drunk in a Hole. A drunk fell in a hole and couldn't get out. A businessman went by. The drunk called out for help. The businessman threw him some money and told him to get himself a ladder. But the drunk could not find a ladder in this hole he was in. A doctor walked by. The drunk said, help, I can't get out. The doctor gave him some drugs and said, Take this, it will relieve the pain. The drunk said thanks, but when the pills ran out, he was still in the hole. A renowned psychiatrist rode by and heard the drunk crying for help. He, he stopped and said, how did you get there? Where were you, where, were you born there? Were you put there by your parents? Tell me about yourself. It will alleviate your sense of loneliness. So the drunk talked with him for an hour. Then the psychiatrist had to leave, but he said he'd be back next week. The drunk thanked him, but he was still in the hole. A priest came by and the drunk called for help. The priest gave him a Bible and said, I'll say a prayer for you. He got down on his knees and prayed for the drunk, then left. The drunk was very grateful. He read the Bible but he was still stuck in the hole. A recovered alcoholic happened to be passing by and the drunk cried out, hey, help me, I'm stuck in this hole. Right away, the recovered alcoholic jumped in the hole with him. The drunk said, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck here. But the recovered alcoholic said, it's okay. I've been here before. I know a way out. Thanks for letting me share. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope maybe some of you at least got a little something out of what I said. Thanks, Steve. That was Steve B. from AA 1.0 and his home group. It meets Tuesday nights at 5.30 p.m. This has been another edition of our podcast speaker series edition on Two Sober Chicks. Thanks for joining us.